Welcome everybody in the Off the Ball Network fandom and beyond to your usual weekly affair here on Monday nights. It is your favorite podcast about baseball and hockey here on OTBN. It is the Bunts and Bruises podcast coming at you live per usual, ready to break down all the big news in the hockey and baseball worlds. And as always, you are joined by two of your, I hope we're two of your favorites on the network. I think we're pretty good at what we do, but all that aside, it is the, as given to me by my own co-host, the Iceman, the yes. king of the puck here at the network, Jerg, ready to talk all the hockey in the world with you guys, because there's a lot of hockey this past week. Uh, and as always, I am joined by the savant of the game, the Don of baseball himself, the hot take king, I would say, I would argue, of the Off the Ball Network, especially after a, a performance that he put on last week. My guy, James Barcia. James, how are we feeling today? I'm feeling great, Jerg. I've been waiting all day. It's been a crazy day, not even crazy weekend in sports. It's just trade deadline. You got the NHL draft. I mean, how can you not feel good about this, Jerg? It's Monday. It's 8 p.m. If this isn't part of your weekly routine already, what are you doing? I retweeted this. Come on. Get used to it. Invite your friend. Tell your friend. I don't even care if you tell your uncle's college roommate. Go ahead and get them. Tell them to watch and enjoy because we are – welcoming you into our home and you're welcoming it to us home there we go i mean it ain't no more electric way to get us going than that of course we're gonna get going here like we both said it's been a very news heavy week when it comes to both of our sports james especially with the nhl so we're gonna start off tonight with double drafts for you guys we're gonna talk about and overview the expansion draft that happened as one of our OTBN colleagues kind of says the Krakens are the off the ball network team. I think so. A lot of the guys claimed the Kraken prior to the expansion draft. So we're going to be talking about the newest hockey team in the league. And I think probably the most popular hockey team of the network now with the Seattle Kraken and how they did. Then we're going to talk about the entry draft. I'm going to give you guys some of my winners and losers and some surprises that I felt went through with the draft. But trust me, there were some surprises uh, over the course of the draft, especially with how I thought things were going to go. Uh, and then we're going to transition over to baseball because, like I said, I have the Don of baseball with me. And he's going to go over some trades in his side of things because some MLB trades are slowly starting to happen in bars with the MLB trade deadline. We got to talk about some names that could be on the move. But before we talk about all the names that got drafted, all the names that got traded, and names that we could and hopefully will see traded in the baseball world, we have to talk to you guys about the sponsor for, for Bunsen Bruises, but also OTBN in general, because this episode of the Bunsen Bruises podcast is brought to you, of course, by MyBookie and James. And we talked about MyBookie in recent weeks and the amazing offers they have. Let's just, as per usual, let's remind the people the outstanding opportunity that they have if they use MyBookie in conjunction with OTBN. Jerk, my bookie is just it's historic what they're doing. My bookie matches up to 50% of your first deposit, and that's up to a thousand dollars. So that's five hundred dollars that they will match up on your first deposit. That's the largest bonus in the industry. Highest credit card acceptance rates, fast 48-hour paying process. It's what is there not to like? Because when you gotta get money, you want to get it quick, especially when it's your winnings. But once again, guys, you already know, use promo code off the ball and let's win big promo for my bookie. It's promo code off the ball. Beautiful right there by one of the best ad reading men in the business. And let's not waste any more time and let's move on to I think. And this was the best comment I saw to summarize the expansion draft that we saw uh, hosted by ESPN is that it was a really cool two and a half hour i think it was two and a half hours if i'm not maybe one and a half hours well i'll just say two hours <laughs> uh, it was a really cool multi-hour event 
to promote the city of Seattle and everything that you can do around there. That was also disguised as the expansion draft in and of itself because the NHL expansion draft did happen last week. Of course, the Seattle Kraken were welcomed into the league team number 32 into the NHL and what a way they were welcomed. And I say that with some enthusiasm because I'm always enthusiastic about hockey. But dear Lord James, the presentation was something that left a lot to be desired. Uh, We're not going to give too much of our thoughts about it because I think we both made it clear on our own Twitter feeds itself. The we were not fans of how ESPN necessarily presented things uh, per se. Presentation, production quality could have been a lot better. Microphones were just eh. Yeah, it was it was really weird. Again, I I love the idea of what they were doing in Seattle. I did, but the problem is because it's all the way over on the West Coast, the Pacific Northwest. Like we were watching at 8 p.m. here bars, but it's 5 p.m. over there, right? So it, it's sunny for them. I think if it was like a night time uh backdrop it would have been a lot cooler would have looked a lot better i think like it would have hit a a lot of things better but didn't get that look because time zones they exist uh but we're not here to talk about the production quality anymore we're here to talk about what exactly happened in and of itself so bars as someone who was a fan of the last expansion team overall what were your thoughts from your perspective uh how did you think you know in your mind that the seattle kraken did with selecting their first ever roster well, just one last note on the production about this ESPN thing. Since it's the first production for ESPN in this 10-year contract with the NHL, Jerry, come on. You got to give them a little break. It's like making pancakes. You got to throw the first one out. You know, once they start doing it, they're going to they're gonna find their role into it. But Mama regardless. Coney has something to say about that. Mama Coney makes perfect pancakes on the first one, so I don't want to hear that from ESPN. Whoa, 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 whoa. My mother makes the best pancakes you'll ever have, Jerk. all right? But <laughs> I, for one, I always burn my first pancake. You know, I don't got that mother's touch. But regardless, it seemed like the Kraken kind of had this magic touch. They kind of followed the blueprint that the Las Vegas Golden Knights had created, but it seemed a little odd because you told me, Jerk, off air, how they didn't really go for a lot of big names with all the free cash space they have. They didn't go for, they made some questionable moves when it came to the back end of the draft. And what I thought, what I personally thought, you tell me if I'm wrong, Jerg, I thought they wanted to keep that cash space free just in case, you know, cause if you never want to be tied up straight, especially when it's your first year. And I always been telling you, Jerg, this year is everything. It's either you're going to be a top tier team, or like even decent team, you know, it's, you're going to be a good team or you're going to be a bottom floor team and it's going to take years for you to get out. So it was important that they hit and that cap flexibility, I feel like is going to be a big thing for them, especially with the draft coming up, because why are you going to create a stud line when you have a lot of rookies coming in? And that's probably going to be the main pillars of your whole new franchise. So you rather get those guys as many minutes as they can than, you know, a mid-tier guy who, yes, he's good and probably worth the money, but it's not going to be worth the trade in the long end. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely one way to look at it. Like, after we had this discussion about it, I can definitely see from that point of view. I think the number one thing that the Seattle Kraken did with building their roster, ultimately, they want to be a team that's tough to beat every single night. And I think that's a very admirable thing. I honestly think you met, you compare them to Vegas. I kind of think that's what Vegas was going for when they first created their roster. Like, a lot of the names that we saw end up panning out for them, like William Carlson and Jonathan Marshall we didn't know the potential they had as offensive playmakers at all, right? So because of that, I think when we look back at what Vegas initially did, I think we could have said the same thing about them, that, hey, you know, this uh, a lot of names here that, you know, we don't really know, but th- this looks like a team that's going to be tough to beat. Like, they're going to be a team that tries to grind you out, right? And I think it was a similar thing of what Seattle tried to do here, 
ultimately. I think part of the reason looking with the, the whole cap space thing is I think this team, when you look at the roster that they put together, there are a couple free agents here that they drafted because they didn't just sign, they didn't just take guys from teams under contract. They took a couple guys that are free agents, particularly in the restricted free agent front. So uh, Vince Dunn from St. Louis, Dennis Cholowski from Detroit, and Kale Fleury from the Montreal Canadiens. Those were all three restricted free agents that they picked up that are all due new contracts. So maybe part of the reason why they didn't want to go with big names per se was the fact that, hey, we're going to pick some restricted free agents here. we got to negotiate with them. A couple of the guys that they technically picked, like I explained last week, if they signed a player prior to the expansion draft, that would count as their pick from a team. So they signed Adam Larson from Edmonton. They signed uh, Jamie Oleksiak from the Dallas Stars. And they took Chris Drieger from the Florida Panthers, right? So those, uh, and it made sense. Drieger got three and a half million a year and Larson and Oleksiak both got uh, more, about four and a half million a year, give or take, right? So there's an already contract. You're starting to take up some of the cap space on the team. So I can understand from that point of view why they didn't go for big names. And my thing is, I'm not necessarily advocating for them to go after big like all the big names. I'm not going to say that because I agree with you. If you screw up your cap space now, that's a handicap that you have to deal with for several years, right? And I think Seattle coming into this, whether they're going to be a playoff team or not your one, they at least need to be a competitive team that shows something. With that, I, I think they built up a roster at the end of the day. Jordan Eberle is a pretty good pickup from them from the Islanders, a proven 20-goal score in his career. Kind of trailed off the last few years with the Isles, but he's still got that potential. Uh, they took Yanni Gord from the defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning with his ability, a 40-point-a-season player. Actually, years ago, he had a 60-point season. And maybe if he's the first-line center here, James, he could you know kind of rekindle that magic. And they took other good, no- other good names, excuse me, Yon- Don Skoy, Brendan Tanev, Jared McCann. Again, like though, what I was talking about, these those are the kinds of guys that you get to make your team tough to play against every night. And I think ultimately that what that is what Seattle is going for. But I still think like looking back, there could have been a, a couple questionable selections here. I think from the Los Angeles Kings, the I think the the worst pick that they made was from the LA Kings because they took a one of their prospect defensemen there. But the problem is that they didn't take one of the highly, they didn't take a, any kind of like highly touted prospect defenseman. The, and for my hockey people that'll watch this, some of the names that were available with the Kings that they could have selected, they, they could have selected Kale Clogg, who was also a defenseman, much better than the kid that they ended up taking. Blake Lazat, a forward, again, much better. And guy I'm really interested in, a two-way forward potential player, power forward, even maybe if he like bulks up a little more, Carl Grundstrom from the LA Kings. So like my, my biggest thing is that in certain cases, they could have gone with a more talented player and they just didn't do that. And I think, yes, even with the draft, like the thing you need to consider is the fact that they're, they didn't make any draft pick trades, right? So because of that, they only had their seven selections and I'm not going to, they had a solid draft, obviously with the number two pick, they selected uh, Matty Beniers out of the university of Michigan. I think it's almost a lock. He's going to be on the roster from day one, but aside from him, the rest of the, the prospects that they got, I don't think a lot of them are going to make the day one roster. I mean, maybe one of them will surprise me and they do. That's just the nature of the sport sometimes. Right. But aside from Beniers, you know, you look back, I, I still think there's a little bit of missed potential with the expansion draft, just from my point of view. But that's not to say it's bad. If I had to give a grade overall, I've, we kind of said this off air, James, I'd give a solid B to this team. And maybe because of the flexibility. Strong B. Strong B. And hey, strong B, it gets you past college and maybe it could get you uh, into the playoffs in year one for the NHL. Who knows? But that, that's just my thing. I think, in, and I said it before the draft, it's situational with every pick. I think in certain pick situations, they could have done better. I, I just personally think that not, not even necessarily going with the stars, but like I said, the Los Angeles Kings pick to me was the most messed up pick. Like, I think they could have done way better than that. 
to boost up the forward core or even again the defenseman core like there was better players there that, that's my biggest one a couple of these other teams like they just took uh some players here and there that that'll fill up the bottom six again it's it's all about being a tough team per se and we'll just see how it goes but like uh, again i don't wish any ill fate on the seattle Kraken in year one i want them to do good in year one because i think that'll just make things more interesting for the nhl if they're good uh, out front year one hey maybe we get potentially a round one matchup james Vegas versus Seattle. Now, wouldn't oh, that be something? They get play? washed. They get washed. Forget it. Don't do that to them, Jerg. If you want them to do good, come on. <laughs> oh, man. But, yes, that, that kind of wraps up our talk about the expansion draft in and of itself. Uh, but, like I said, that wasn't the only draft that happened last week. The NHL entry draft happened about 48 hours after the expansion draft. So, very quickly after we welcomed a new team to the league, we welcomed 200-plus new players into the NHL system. No, no, not all of them are going to get contracts right away. A lot of these kids are going to go back to the juniors, go back to their leagues in Europe, etc. But the NHL entry draft did happen. James, when it comes to the entry draft, I was, you know, hopeful of how they would do it. Again, they kind of did it similar to last year, not a physical draft. I was got I was kind of thankful for that because I don't know, I don't think this year ESPN would have been ready for like a physical NHL draft, uh entry draft per se. But Why I think not? Um, they, they did the NFL. Why not? I'm talking about NHL. I'm talking about the NHL. Yeah, like, I don't think I they would have like been it. ready for that. Yeah. Look, the expensive draft has soured me, man. But I'm just saying, like, I think <laughs> the NHL entry draft gave me hope. So, again, James, like you say, all your hockey knowledge comes from me. What did you think of the entry draft just from your basic point of view? Or did you have any thoughts about it? Or are you just going to let me ramble on about the draft? <laughs> I'm going to let you ramble on about the draft, Jerry, because I'm not going to lie. You're my woes that day. You were able to hit me up with the updates. I do have one big question about it, though, because I'm looking here at my NHL draft tracker, and you need to explain to me why the Coyotes – I, I'm looking at pick 11 and it says void. Uh, I'm very curious what happened there. If you could explain to me and all the rest of these casual fans. So the Arizona Coyotes, like the complete geniuses they were, I believe this goes back to last year's entry draft, if I'm not mistaken. They illegally worked out prospects. Like they they did personal workouts and like just essentially they brought in guys for workouts and interviews and stuff like that when they weren't supposed to, like to try to get extra data on prospects from a previous draft and so due to that and you're not supposed to do stuff like that unless warranted like the league essentially punished them and took away their first round pick in this year's nhl uh entry draft and it was going to be taken away no matter what like even if seattle whether they were in the playoffs or a lottery uh, excuse me seattle arizona whether they were in the playoffs or a lottery team it was going to be taken from them and the the thing was that was the uh the actions of previous management because the general manager from when that decision happened, it's gone now. <laughs> so like the, the guy kind of got off scot-free. He screwed over the team and then left, you know, in the dead of night, essentially like more slippery than a snake covered in oil. You could say James. So, so you're telling me there. they cheated and they still ended up under 500 for the year. <laughs> they didn't just cheat James. They cheated in last year's draft and they, the, the first pick, the first draft pick they made in that draft, they took, uh, they rescinded his draft rights immediately. Cause he was, uh, alleged for being like uh bullying a kid with autism when he was like in his teens like coming up into the... yeah it's, uh, like you didn't not only did you not did not only did you cheat you cheated terribly and the first guy you pick you have to immediately uh not have him on the team anymore don't even have his draft rights anymore because he's just a terrible human being and makes a bad choice like 
just uh, it's a, a whole bleep show not, not a great franchise over there <laughs> yeah not. But, but hey here's the thing they did end up getting a first round draft pick from what i'll talk about later because a lot of trades happened with the nhl but draft first of course yes i just do also want to mention one more cool note i thought it was awesome that luke hughes got drafted along with his brother who was number one pick last year jack hughes to new jersey oh, devils i ago. thought Two years ago. Hey, I was close enough. Either way, <laughs> I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, it was, what I thought was the craziest thing about that jerk was his brother was more hype than he was that he got drafted. His brother was freaking out, dancing up and down. It was the coolest thing ever. Hockey families won. Like, if I have to give a winner for the NHL draft, it was hockey families because Luke Hughes finally gets drafted. So that completes the triplet of the brothers. You know, Quinn Hughes in Vancouver, Jack in New Jersey, and now Luke also going to Jersey. Kale McCarr's younger brother got drafted by the Colorado Avalanche, his team. So now those two are going to be in the same organization. And the Chicago Blackhawks, actually, in the second round, they drafted Colton Doc, the the younger brother of Kirby Doc, one of their guys right now. So it's just... All around, like, families were just reunited during draft weekend. It, it was absolutely amazing. That's cool, man. But speaking of winners, besides Luke Hughes, he wasn't the only winner, Jerk. You need to tell me who you think were the winners of this year's NHL draft. So I have three teams right off the bat that I'm going to count as winners for the draft because of picks they made. And I'm going to predominantly focus on, like, some of their early picks. Not to say that their late-round picks can't become everything, but the thing of the NHL is it's a very slippery slope. you got to understand that. When you make a, a draft pick in the fourth round, yes, the player could become something. They could also never end up playing in the NHL. That's how much of a slope it is in the draft. And then at the same time, you could have Hall of Famers come out of the late rounds. Henrik Zetterberg, Pavel Datsuk. I know I just said two Detroit players specifically right there. But just generally speaking, you can hit in the late round, but you could also miss and famous late round draft pick, Henrik Lundqvist. So that, that just lets you know it, it's a very you know up and down thing. But winners that I have from the draft, my number one winner is the Minnesota Wild. I just, off of their two first-round draft picks alone, if they hit on these picks, this is going to be an outstanding draft for them. They took who I thought was the best goalie in this draft in uh, Jesper Wallstad at the 20th overall pick, funny enough. When they realized he was still available at 20, they traded up to get him. Didn't have to trade up a lot to get him. And honestly, the the fact that they picked him, I, I was shocked that he fell to 20. I thought he, he potentially could have been a top 10 pick. I actually had him mocked in my top 10 personally so I think it was wild that he slid all this way he wasn't even the first goalie taken at the end of the draft which was again wild to me but the fact that they took him he's so poised he's so mature he could end up being like not just the best goalie out of this draft but like one of the best goalies in the league he's going to be part of this next generation of goalies that's going to be special in the NHL potentially so I think home run of a pick right there with him and then their other first round pick that they had late in the draft Carson Lambos from the I believe Winnipeg Ice the kid had a he suffered this past year because of injuries and the fact that the Canadian Hockey League, all three of the juniors started late because of COVID. Add injury to that, the kid just didn't have a chance to really show off his full skill set this past year before the draft. But I really like Carson Lambos a lot. I think he's a good defenseman on both ends. He's got a nice shot, one of the better shots in this draft, honestly. And I think he's very sound fundamentally on defense. I like what he could bring to a team on both ends. I think it was an absolute steal of a pick when it comes to where he was selected. And also, just sticking with the blue line, Jack Peart, uh, I believe in the second round is where Minnesota got him. Like, they just did amazing work with their blue line. They lost one of their defensemen in uh, in the expansion draft to Seattle in Southie. They had to buy out Ryan Suter, and now 
they add two prospects here in this draft that I think were absolutely phenomenal. I think that both of them have potential to contribute to this team in another two, three years. I really do. I think if this draft goes the way Minnesota could have made out like gangbusters here, this was a, just a phenomenal draft out of them personally. Next up here for my winners, it is a central division foe for the Minnesota wild. Cause we're going back to the good old divisions next year, guys, the Winnipeg jets. I think their top two picks, you could argue like in terms of the first two selections, any team made in the draft, I would argue Winnipeg had like one of the better combinations of top two Chaz Lucius at 18th, one of the best names in this draft, by the way. So amazing job by his parents for naming him. He shot up a lot of draft boards late in the process. The kid has a lot of potential uh, in terms of what he could do. He's got a hard shot. He has some, you know, tools there where he could become pretty good offensively. He has like the metrics, like at least physically in terms of height. And when he puts on some weight, he could be a solid defender, but we don't know that yet. He's committed to playing to the University of Minnesota, so we'll see after a year or two in college hockey how much better he gets. This is the cool thing about picking these American-born kids who go through like the either USA's developmental team program or they just play in one of the U.S. junior hockey leagues where they're going to go to the NCAA once you draft them. And you know, you let them be there for like one, two years. You could also, you could let them stay there all four years if you so choose. But like, I think one or two years there, he's going to become a much more well-rounded player. And when Winnipeg gets him, they'll get to work with him more. I think that's a steal. And then in the second round at the 50th pick, they got Nikita Chibrikov from Russia. The kid was a first round talent. I saw a lot of people say he could have been picked in the first round. The fact that you're getting a guy at 50 who some teams could have picked in the twenties, that's pretty good right there. Kid is a goal scorer. He's by all accounts, was projected to be the top Russian forward in this draft. So the fact that they got him at 50, that's pretty good. The Winnipeg Jets only had four picks in this draft, James. And I'm calling them a winner for a reason, because they hit it out the park with their first two picks. Heck, they even hit it out the park with their uh, the third pick they had, Dimitri Kuzmin, uh, out of this draft. One of the best uh, offensive defensemen in terms of being able to start the play out of nowhere, it seems. Like the kid, if they really mold him well, he could be a pretty good defenseman on the power play, you know, just hit his teammates with great passes. So Winnipeg is a winner without question. Like they had a phenomenal draft, even with limited assets just goes to show uh, it's not always about quantity. It's about quality. And Winnipeg, I think they potentially hit on some great quality in this draft. And then last but not least, I know this is going to get a big smile on your face. The Vegas golden Knights with their first two picks. I was a massive fan of Zach Dean with the 30th overall pick. I think was a, a pretty good pick. The kid is, he's got good instincts. He's got good hockey IQ, good awareness. There's some potential there for him to make plays as well. Like he needs a lot of work, especially defensively. But I think, you know, with Vegas, uh, again, talking about a trade later on, they let go of one of the first ever draft picks they had in team history recently in a, in a deal. And I think to get this kid to help replace Cody Glass, he's not, I'm not saying he's going to be better than what Cody Glass will be, but I'm just saying you, you let go of a center in your system. You bring one back into the fold that you can work on and develop. I think that's great. And then they took, I was talking about Winnipeg got the best Russian forward. Vegas got arguably the best Russian defenseman in this draft in uh, Daniil Cheka out of Russia. Uh, again, like the, this kid, a first round projected talent earlier in the draft process, even up until like a month or two ago, James, I didn't see a lot of people have him falling out of the first round. So the fact that they, again, they got him in the late thirties, I think 38 for 39th overall, I believe they have to trade up for the pick if I'm not mistaken, or they, there was a trade involved in the pick in some way, but the fact that they got him as well, I think those are two very good pieces for Vegas to get on for them, especially with Cheka when he eventually develops, he's like a very defensive orientated defenseman. The fact that they have a Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo to lead them offensively with that natural offensive talent there, this is that if he becomes really good, shut down defenseman on that blue line. That's a phenomenal pick by Vegas. So those are my three winners from the NHL entry draft. He was the 38th pick. 
So you got that. And in my quick search, it doesn't look like he was a trade. So, well, you're bad at 500, Jerk. That's all <laughs> Vegas. In, Vegas in did make Vegas did make a trade. To be fair to me, they did make a trade on draft day. I guess it wasn't that. that yeah, big. it probably was a different one. But regardless, Jerk, just full of knowledge as always. But unfortunately, you told us all the winners. Let's hear about some of the losers over here. Uh, so I have two quick losers right off the bat. The Chicago Blackhawks rebuild. Rest in peace. I'm a Blackhawk fan. Uh, yeah, uh, what are we doing? Uh, whatever. And the Montreal Canadiens, need I say more? They drafted a player in the first round that didn't even want to be drafted. So there's that. Good job. You, you, you take two steps forward, making it to the Stanley Cup final, and you immediately take like five steps back. Uh, such is life when it comes to being a fan of the Montreal Canadiens. But my real losers, let's get a little bit serious here. The New York Rangers, I think with their top two picks, they kind of screwed up. Not to say I don't like Brennan Offman personally, but there were some very good centers that were still on the board there, such as Chaz uh, Lucius, Bolduc, Fyodor Svechkov. I think those are three guys they could have hit on, especially Svechkov. I fell in love with him really late in the draft process. I think he's a very good shutdown caliber defensive forward that Nashville ended up getting. Great pick, Nashville. And the thing is, is that the Rangers, when you look at their prospect pool, they need more centers. So the fact that they didn't get a bona fide center with their first round pick when there were three guys on the board there, that's very disappointing. And then their second round pick, the kid that they selected, ended up being a center, but there was more talented players on the board. And if you had picked center first in the first round, you could have picked a different player. And is just this whole thing that they messed up on. So I got to say for the Rangers, I had some expectations coming into this offseason for them, hoping that they would do something. Draft was not it for them. You know, so far, they, they to me, they struck out on both picks from my perspective. Uh, is, it, is it safe to say uh, Chris Drury's first draft is his first moves as president isn't looking too hot? I mean, well, if we're being fair, like his first real move was Gerard Gallant, which was an outstanding move for coaching hire. So it's like if you're talking about his first like transactions and oh, like draft. Sure. Like, again, here's the thing. We have to give it a couple of years to see. Like, these guys could become really good and I could be eating my words here. And if so, so be it. But. Like on paper, because that's all we could do at this point on paper, there could have been a lot more could have been done with some of these selections. I'll just say that much when it comes to the Rangers. So I'm not necessarily a fan of their draft per se. My other losers here are two Canadian teams. You know, I, I gave Canada the love of Winnipeg, uh, but then I got I to gotta bring them down with Montreal, Ottawa, and Edmonton, man. Just issues. The Edmonton Oilers with their first round selection selected a forward, Xavier Burgol. Like, here's my thing. I don't hate the selection. I think Burgol could be a pretty good player. But they traded down, if I'm not mistaken, with the Minnesota Wild. And the Minnesota Wild selected Jesper Walstad with that in that trade. Jesper Walstad, Edmonton, they've needed a goalie for so many years right now. You could have selected the best goalie in this draft who could have been the franchise backstop for you for the next decade plus, And you trade down from the pick. It was just really frustrating that Edmonton decided to do that. It was just a screw up of a draft pick right there. It really was. Like, again, I'm not saying the kid that they selected will be bad by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just said. And normally with the NHL draft, it's kind of like, do you really go for need? Because there's so many players on your roster. What is a need per se sometimes? But Edmonton, it's not a question. You need a goalie. You didn't go goalie. That was disappointing. Boom, we move on. And then my last loser, the Ottawa Senators. Like the Ottawa Senators have been in a rebuild for it feels like since I started college. Uh, I am a college graduate now. Let that be perspective. And I wasn't a fan of the first round pick. I just really wasn't. Not not to say, again, this is not to say the kid himself won't be good, but there were better prospects at that position available on the board like Ottawa I'm sorry there's a reason you're in this position I have zero some people actually thought Ottawa maybe could have done better than what they showed this past season and were hoping that they'd have a good offseason no no they're they're still going to be the same old Ottawa Senators next season sadly so I'm sorry Ottawa Senators fans to the three Ottawa Senators fans that listen to our podcast you're gonna have to deal with another tough year next year I'm sorry but that's just them's the breaks 
you know, it, it doesn't sound like there's any surprise that Ottawa Senators are in the bottom. Well, we're in the bottom of the North Division. Where are they normally if they're not in the North Division when it's, you know, the normal? I believe the Metropolitan, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I think so, so they're, they're way, way, way down there. No wonder I haven't heard about them. But speaking of surprises, Jerk, what are the final surprises you had about this NHL draft? Just really fast, the fact that, like I said, Jesper Wallstadt wasn't the first goalie taken. Sebastian Kosa was taken by the Detroit Red Wings at 15. So, Kenneth, you're going to need to explain that pick to me, my man, if you're listening to this. And not, not to say I don't like Sebastian Kosa. I think he was definitely the second best goalie in the draft coming into this one. And I know some people were trying to argue him as the first one. And look, I'll say this. Detroit needed a goalie. They needed uh, some young goalies uh, coming into this offseason to acquire to help build up for the future. And I think Kosa could definitely be that guy for them. But again, I don't want to call it bias. Because when it comes to Jesper Wallstead, I am a big fan of him. But I just felt like he was far and away the best goalie. The the saves he made, the, he did so well. This is my thing, James. In the European hockey leagues, when these guys come in, usually there's a transition period. Like the way it goes with the forwards and defensemen, they start at the lower lines and then they build their way up as they have more experience. Wallstead, first full season starting in the Swedish hockey league, the top league in Sweden, above 500 record, very respectable goals against average, very respectable save percentage. I just don't understand how he wasn't the first goalie taken off the board. I really don't. Again, I don't want to criticize Detroit. I, it's why I didn't have them as a loser because I don't think that pick makes them a loser. I still think he could be good, but that that had me scratching my head. Fabian Lysel, he also dropped the, the Some of the Swedish players really dropped in this draft in the first round. Fabian Lysel, I think he's just an offensive dynamo. I know a lot of people are concerned, like he needs to gain weight, bulk up, et cetera. But I think we've seen these last couple of years, height shouldn't matter. We have examples in NHL history where short players can find success. And Fabian Lysel, I think Boston picked up a hell of a pick. And I think a lot of people are going to be annoyed when this kid starts putting up like 50 point seasons uh, in Boston for them. They really are like Fabian Lysel could have been a really good pick but for anyone. And Boston got, I don't want to say lucky, but like they were, they should be thankful that he fell to them at 21. Cause again, a kid that a lot of people originally, like he could have been a top 10 pick straight up. Speaking of guys not going where, you know, I thought they were going to go. Uh, Mason McTavish is a guy that a lot of people, they didn't know how to feel about him in the draft process, James. Some people had him going at like 15, 16, 17. Some people had him going in the top five. Me personally, I felt he was securely a top 10 pick for sure. And it was going to be all about beauty in the eye of the beholder. And the Anaheim Ducks clearly saw a lot of beauty in his game. They selected him number three overall in the draft. I'm not going to disagree with it personally, because I think the Ducks... There's a transition there. Ryan Getzlaff could no longer be on the team potentially after this offseason. And they clearly saw they want that new number one center of the future. They have some decent centers on the team right now, but they're not number one caliber. Mason McTavish, I think this is my thing with him. I think he can be a number one center for sure. So just based off of that, I don't mind the pick at all. If Anaheim, if he becomes really good, which he could be, kids big, physical, has a hard shot. One of the hardest shots in the draft could be one of the best goal scorers coming out of this draft. If Anaheim hit on this pick, they got their bona fide top line center for the next like decade. So, and and what a perfect transition from Getzlaff to McTavish. What a beauty that would be if Anaheim did well in that. So I was just surprised he went third overall, but, and and to Anaheim, because I thought Anaheim was going to go in a different direction, but just based off of talent, like I, I could see why they fell in love with him because the, the kid could be really good. Hey, Anaheim better have fingers crossed, you know, hopefully he can run that flying V super nice and, you know, they become the mighty ducks again. That Mighty Ducks jersey, when they did have it out, the alternate, those were super tough. I should have got one of those. But speaking of, Jerk, sounds like there was just a bunch of craziness and nonsense that happened in this NHL draft. I don't know how you keep up with this, man, because you got players who you're not going to see again for like the next three years or something like that, yet you pronounced every single one of their names perfectly. So, you know, I'm mind blown as always. 
Hey, I, I appreciate it. I try my best with the names. I really do. That, that's all I can say there. But, I mean, you mentioned how crazy the draft was. Going up to the draft, James, it was pretty crazy as well. This has already been the most active NHL offseason I think we've had in quite some time. Since going back to, I think it was the same summer where John Tavares ended up being a Toronto Maple Leaf. I think that same summer, Steven Stamkos re-signed in Tampa. Taylor Hall was traded to the New Jersey Devils. Like that, that was the last offseason where we really had a lot of big names get traded. And we had a lot of big names get traded this offseason as well. So I'm just going to run through some of the trades that happened going into the draft. And a lot of them ended up being solely based on around the blue line, the defensive core. So the, the two biggest ones, and you kind of saw me and Kenneth joke about this in the in the chat with the Philadelphia Flyers. They made two trades to beef up the defense over the last few weeks. The first one was a three-team deal between them, your Vegas Golden Knights, and the Nashville Predators, where Ryan Ellis from the Nashville Predators was traded over to Philadelphia. Philadelphia sent Philip Myers and Nolan Patrick to Nashville, but then which makes this a three-team deal. Nashville took Nolan Patrick and sent him over to Vegas in exchange for Cody Glass. So that's why when I mentioned before Cody Glass being gone, that was the trade that did it. Vegas wanted Nolan Patrick. I don't know why. I actually, I I can't explain to you right off the bat. I just, I don't know why they did it. But, you know, we'll, we'll see uh, when it all plays out. But that wasn't the only deal. The next deal they made, this is the real head scratcher. Rasmus Ristolainen was traded from the Buffalo Sabres to the Philadelphia Flyers. And I still don't understand how Philly got fleeced in this deal. It was Robert Hag, which is, again, another solid defenseman that was on the Flyers roster. Their first round pick this year. So this is why Buffalo had several first round picks, because they got that one. They got, I think it was the 13th overall pick is what Philadelphia had. They sent over. And then a 2023 second round draft pick. How do you get fleeced by Buffalo when they were the same team that traded Taylor Hall for like a, a Taco Bell coupon and a bag of chips and a draft pick? I really don't get it. You made the Sabres general manager, Kevin Adams, look really good. And that's not something you're supposed to do. So Philadelphia, I'm kind of concerned about the offseason you're having right now. I really, really am. But speaking of being concerned about things, several teams made some deals that have their fan bases concerned. The Vancouver Canucks traded for Oliver Ekman Larson from the Arizona Coyotes. In that deal, they also acquired Connor Garland, a pretty good forward to get back in the deal, honestly. And they set the other way three players who are on one-year deals that they need to get the contract off the book. So good job there for a moment by Jim Benning. But then they also sent the ninth overall pick from this past draft, which is why the Coyotes had a first-round pick, even though their original one was forfeited. They got one back in some way, and then they got a 2022 second-rounder and a 2023 third-rounder. I'm really interested to see how this uh, goes for Vancouver. This is either going to be a fantastic deal and Oliver Ekman-Larsen revives his career here, James, or this blows up in Vancouver's face terribly. So, you know, we'll we'll see how that goes there. And then finally, like I said, the Blackhawks rebuild. Apparently Stan Bowman doesn't want to rebuild anymore because he traded for Seth Jones from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, Seth Jones, just for context, he was going to be leaving no matter what next season. Columbus had to get value back for him. I definitely thought they could have gotten a first-round pick and a player back. They did. Oh, and dear Lord, they got even more. So Chicago got back Seth Jones, and then they immediately re-signed him to a eight-year, $76 million contract extension. Joy for me. Uh, they also got back the 31st overall pick from the NHL draft, so they still got a first-round pick, and they got back a 2022 six-rounder. Now, that's not too bad, actually, when you think of it. But then the other way, and this is what tore my heart apart, so I expected the 11th overall pick to be in the deal, and it was. They sadly traded prospect defenseman Adam Bockvist uh, from the team, it really pissed me off. I'm a fan of Bokvist. I think he was going to have a big third year in the league, and I guess he's going to have it in Columbus. Stan Bowman, why do you do this to me, man? And then not only did they trade this year's first rounder and our top prospect defenseman, they traded next year's first rounder and our second rounder from this past draft, 2021 
second rounder. So just all around, like I said, Chicago doesn't want to rebuild clearly, but they want to tear up all of our dang hearts. Here's the thing. Seth Jones, I think, could be a really good defenseman. And I think with Patrick Kane and Alex DeBrinkett, he's going to look good again. But this is a guy the last three seasons, his production has gone down every single year. So he his production better spike back up again. He better have a 50-point season this year in Chicago or it's going to be an issue. Like they like they held the sign at uh, Money in the Bank 2011 for WB. If Seth Jones doesn't put up 50 points, we riot. Chicago will riot if he doesn't perform for them, especially with all this they had to give up. So that that kind of that kind of summarizes all the trades that happened. So we have a, a couple happy teams here. Some happy Coyotes fans, they're building up their uh, prospect pool again. I think Islanders fans are happy with some of the, the deals that were made because they picked up some pretty good selections here. Yeah, and angry Chicago Blackhawk and Philadelphia Flyers fans. So that's that's what I could say about that. And actually, my bad, James. I actually forgot this in the surprises. Last one that I have. Atsu Ratu, 52nd overall pick to the New York Islanders. At one point, this kid was projected to go first overall. A year ago, he was the first overall pick in a lot of projections, and he drops all the way to 52 heck of a pickup by the Islanders. That's I, I, it left my mind when we were talking about the surprises. I have to mention it here because it was actually a pretty good selection for the Isles. It really was. There you go. My number two team doing great as always. Oh Lordy. Are you sure that wait, they're not number three. I thought Tampa was your number two. You're right. There you go. Number three, either way, you know, (laughs) it's interchangeable. The list changes all the time. It's changing at this very moment in and of itself. So (sighs) ladies and gentlemen, you just heard me run through so many hockey deals But we're not done with the trades at all. Like I said at the top of the show, the MLB trade deadline is coming ever so close to us here, James. I think it's pretty soon, right? Like another two, three weeks? Uh, It should be ending by the end of this month. So we got one last month, uh, one last week. There we go. So Actually, I'm lying. It's August 4th. I'm going to get the affirmative right now. Copy. So while James looks for the affirmative. So like we said a couple weeks back, for those of you that do join us every Monday night, we had a segment where we went through, I believe it was five teams around the MLB that James gave his thoughts on should they blow it up for the trade deadline or should they actually go all in potentially and try to make a move to make the playoffs. So we're not returning to that just yet. We're probably going to return to that in like two, three weeks when the trade deadline is actually passed per se. But what we will do is, you know, bring up the discussion again, because like, the NBA trades are going to be happening and the draft is coming up. They're going to be following the NHL draft. The NHL just had a bunch of trades. The NFL offseason is well and done and they had all their trades. Like the trades are just going off here. So James, I want MLB trades to be firing off. We actually saw a couple trades happen this past week with Adam Frazier being traded from the Pittsburgh Pirates to the San Diego Padres and Nelson Cruz being traded from the Minnesota Twins to the Tampa Bay Rays. So James, because of those trades, that has me excited. That has me looking forward to it. I want more names to be dealt here. So, James, if you want to, real quick, just go in depth on, uh, give your thoughts on the two trades that we just spoke about. And then you're going to give us five names that you think could and even should be traded in this upcoming deadline. My man, Baseball Don, the floor is yours. Jarek, how can you forget the most important trade of just the entire trade season so far? It's the savior of the New York Yankees. Clay Holmes is coming to New York. He's going to take him, throw him on his back to the playoffs, whoever that is. The sarcasm. But regardless, (laughs) real quick note on this uh, Adam Frazier to the Padres trade. I think it was a great trade. This is really more of a deft move. Honestly, it frees them up because they're looking to trade actually Eric Hosmer. He's someone we're not going to talk about. And this list that's coming up by Eric Hosmer, unfortunately, he's becoming more of a cap casualty. And he's really not worth the money they paid him way back when. And he came off a World Series. And per usual, you come off a championship, you're going to make a couple extra bucks. 
he's production isn't terrible, but his production is very easily replaceable, especially for that price tag. So now with this move, Adam Frazier, I'm not even sure if he's going to be an everyday player. Yes, he's an all-star, and yes, he's uh, currently leading the league in hits, but it's where are you going to put him? You know, it's just a death move for a championship team, and that's what you love to see because you got a lot of guys who aren't playing already, such as Will Myers. Like I just said, Hosmer is rotating in and out. So he might take over the second baseman spot, but it's really he's going to be that Swiss knife guy for the team. And the other trade you mentioned was Nelson Cruz. I think this was a phenomenal trade. They gave up a bag of chips and a Taco Bell coupon, like you just said, Jerk. They gave up the number 10 and the number 19th prospect in their farm, which is absolutely nothing. And they actually got another prospect in return with Nelson Cruz. So it wasn't all for nothing. And Nelson Cruz provides that big pop of a bat. You've been preaching it for months already, Jerk, how he needs to leave Minnesota. Well, here he is. He's the first domino to leave Minnesota. So... Uh, eventually, hopefully, we see Jose Barrios and Byron Buxton leaving soon. Hopefully, he's the one to start it off. But we only got five days left, you know. Things better start going. We're not going to mention these guys in our list because we just talk about them so much because uh, Shohei Tani hit his 35th home run, and his next at-bat, he got walked, intentionally walked this weekend, and Minnesota Twins fans started booing. So that just shows you the state of Minnesota. They're just, they wanted to see Shohei because that's how bad team is. They'd rather see the other guy hit a home run, but regardless. Nelson Cruz, he provides that pop, and especially with this Rays team. Their pitch has been taking a lot of hits lately, so there probably wasn't really looking in the market for a pitcher because the Rays, they're one of those teams where you really believe they could turn any pitcher into a great pitcher. We've seen it time and time again. So they're one of those teams to work with what they got, especially if they got to go deep into the bullpen. So they figured, why not hit it on the other side, add that extra pop, especially a big bat, uh, to go along with a Rosarena. So I think those two trades were great. The New York Mets traded Billy McKinney for Carlos Rincon. For my Moneyball fans, no, it's not that guy. It's just some minor leaguer you've never heard of. But they also traded for Rich Hill, who... He had a great W, went through five innings on Sunday. He could throw – that man could throw a ball. He can't throw it great, but he could throw a ball, and that's all the Mets need, especially because we got eight games coming up. Hopefully you see Carlos Carrasco coming, uh, starting healthy within the next week. It was rumored that he will be making his uh, next appearance. Speaking of next appearances, we had the good doctor on last week, Jerg, and I mentioned how the White Sox were considering bringing – Eloy Jimenez back a lot earlier than he thought was the appropriate timeline. And here we are less than a week later. The doctor said he wanted at least three weeks of bed rest, but here we are a week later and he's going to be their DH. So hopefully he provides them a little pop. He's one of those guys that's going to make the whole team better. He's going to make my fantasy team better because I picked him up after losing uh, Ronald Acuna. I know I'm just great. I know you don't got to tell me jerk. But other than that, unfortunately, it has not been a crazy trade deadline so far. Hopefully it picks up later this week, especially with a couple of these guys that I have listed, Jerk, that I think may surprise you. Or I think they should honestly, they should go. If they don't go, I'd be more surprised. And this is the thing when it comes to trades like this is some of my favorite stuff. And here's the difference here. We're not unrealistic sports fans either. Like when we imagine guys getting traded, we want we want things that we could potentially see happen, realistic deals to happen. And it would just be fun if these guys catch fire. So like you said, not a lot of big names so far. So a few notable names here, but no big names. But I think, James, you're teasing us. So now I want you to deliver here. It feels like you got some big names coming up here. So without further ado, 
our guy, James Barcia's five names that we hope to see get traded at the MLB trade deadline. James, who is name number one? Name number one is honestly Trevor Story coming out of Colorado. I will be 100% shocked if this guy doesn't get traded. He's been rumored to get traded for the last two years just due to the fact that Colorado is not a great team whatsoever, and they haven't been a great team for a while. And he is, if not the best shortstop in the league, he's the second best shortstop in the league. And he's a shortstop with power bat, and in today's league, what's better than a shortstop that can steal bases, play defense, and has pop in the bat? And he hits 280, which is now the new age 300, as I always say, Jerk. This season, he's actually crushing the ball. He's actually not crushing the ball. My apologies. He only has 12 home runs, but I think that's more due to the state of what we're seeing there in Colorado. I think if he actually does get traded, some people believe that the thin air is more of an adjustment for people who hit home runs. I think he gets traded, it's going to do him better because he needs someone behind. He just needs to be in a better lineup. You see different pitches when you got better batters surrounding you i also uh, think like to your point with him I, th- I just think he needs a scenery change like the trading of him was kind of in the stars especially after nolan arenado was dealt yes of course and not only that but he's a free agent next year so essentially it's colorado are you gonna lose him for nothing or do you want a little something but if colorado loses him for nothing i wouldn't be surprised whatsoever would you jerk let's be honest but the next person i have who is a little more on the older side but he is still a stud, and he's also someone who I believe he might be leading the league in stolen bases, and that is Whit Merrifield coming out of Kansas City. This is a guy who he gets some credit. He doesn't get as much credit as he should. He's an all-star player year in and year out, and it's just it's crazy. He does all the things. He's that baseball player that we no longer see. He's a guy who does all the things. He plays defense. He goes for contact. He steals bases. He does the fundamental things besides this launch angle and all the analytics are pointing towards. Yes, he has a little pop in his back, but he really doesn't have that much. He has eight home runs, but he has 52 RBIs. The thing is, he has 97 runs in the season. I apologize. 56 runs in the season. I'm not wearing my glasses, guys, so you got to bear with me here. (laughs) But regardless, he has the 25 stolen bases as i mentioned that is amazing there is no one in the league who is close to that at the moment except it was ronald acuna but unfortunately he's not in the league anymore at the moment and the thing about when maryfield which makes me think he shouldn't cost that much is one he's up there in age he's 32 his next season he'll be 33 and his contract is very affordable especially for the type of production you're getting uh his next year he's only due two million seven hundred fifty. And the year after that, it's a club option for six and a half million. So that's great for the production you're getting there. He's essentially the complete opposite of John Carlos Stanton because John Carlos Stanton can't do anything besides swing a bat. I'm not going to say why I picked that guy, but regardless. Whit Merrifield would be a great option to look at if you're someone like the L.A. Dodgers who could use a little bit more outfield or in uh, second base help. Or the New York Mets, who were actually looking at another guy I have rumored on this list who can play the infield and the outfield, just like the other guy I have mentioned. But since I brought him up, might as well just finish it because everyone already knows about this guy and he's been rumored. Hopefully my Mets pull the trigger, and that's Mr. Chris Bryant. The Cubs are a complete shambles right now. They are they should be fire sailing everybody, just getting whatever they can because they have Craig Krimble, who's former Waller star winner and he's just killing it this year you got anthony rizzo apparently they got talent all over the team they just don't want to pay anybody i don't get it jerk oh how the mighty have fallen like people thought after the 2016 world series of how young that team was of all the talent rizzo bryant Baez, 
all them, that they were going to end up being a team that would win multiple championships. And now here we are, like, this isn't that far away. Five full seasons later, and we're talking about deconstructing this team. And it starts with Chris Bryant, who in back-to-back seasons was the NL Rookie of the Year and the NL MVP, which is wild. Just it's insane. I don't get how they aren't better because you look at that lineup. That's a great lineup up and down. It's a great lineup. They can play defense there. They have pop. They have contact. Yes, their pitching has been shaky the past couple of years, but whose lineup hasn't been shaky except New York Mets? Whose lineup hasn't been shaky the past couple of years in baseball, especially with all these launch angles and home runs? But it's just insane to me that a lot more of these guys aren't gone because I get you don't want to pay anybody, but let's make moves before you know you lose the max value. If you're trying to get value, then make the moves. You had Chris Bryant. He should have been traded for a whole mansion and a Mack truck and whatever you can name, Jerk, because when he came out, he was the best fielder in the entire league. He came out on fire. Now he's cooling off a bit. He's still doing great, but – you know, you're not going to get as much value if you trade him early in the season, especially if you're planning on trading. I don't know who they're going to pay because they want to trade Rizzo. They want to trade Wilson Contreras. They want to trade Javier Baez. Why aren't you trading them and why haven't you kept them? But regardless, I expect Chris Bryant to be moved. If he has, if he isn't moved by the end of this week, Derek, I don't know what's going on there in Chicago. But I mentioned a bunch of guys who should move. Well, Whit Merrifield was the maybe. Chris Bryant, Trevor Story are the must moves. I got two guys here who I read rumored who I don't believe they're moving, but it'd be an interesting move. First guy I have is for the newly named Cleveland Guardians. What do you think about that logo, Jerry, before I continue on? I think Jeff said it best with uh, with the tweet he had about it, so I don't, I don't think I could do any more justice. But, yeah, that was that's like a Little League team name, Cleveland Guardians. Like, that's, that, that's a Little League team. That's a... You know, I, I know uh, Sony makes the MLB games, but like if EA Sports made the Major League Baseball games, that would be like the generic, the same generic team they've had there for the last nine years and that they refuse to change the same bland color pattern, the same all that. So like that's, it's just, I mean, we knew they needed a name change, but I, I it could have been, here's the thing. I don't hate the name Guardians, but the logo uh, could no, be like, It's so on. lazy. No, Guardians is so lazy. That's ah, like the last thing you could... Solely, look, listen, I have zero problem with the fact that they changed the name. Good, it should have been changed. But regardless, like, Guardians, come on. That's solely any new team. Look at Washington football team. Any team that's changing their name, right. Guardians is the first thing to pop up in everyone's head for <laughs> that's, some reason. That's actually true. You look at the XFL, the New York Guardians. Like, it, come on. It's just so lazy, I feel like. But the logo was lazier. It was like a a baseball with the G's as way. It was just, that was gross. But regardless, Jose Ramirez of the future Cleveland Guardians, he's been playing phenomenal this year. He's just been playing phenomenal throughout his career. And he is, the reason I don't believe he will be moved is due to his contract, but he should be somebody that Cleveland Guardians is going to get used, uh, it's going to take me to get used to saying that. But the reason Cleveland Guardians should move on from him is because you don't even know what this team is right now. This team is clearly it's not going to be contending for a playoffs any soon. All your best pieces are young guns. And he's the best piece, but it's kind of like a Trevor Story out there in Colorado. It's what's he doing there if he doesn't have bats around him? His power hasn't taken that much of a hit, but it's taking a slight hit. His average taking a bigger hit. He's batting about 260 this year. The thing that's going to make him hard to move is, but it should make him super, like, 
affordable. Like I would pay everything for this guy because he's one of the best. If it's not Nolan Arenado, it's Jose Ramirez, one two best uh, third baseman. He's uh at a club option next year for twelve million and a club option for fourteen million. I think that's due to arbitration and all that. Baseball cap gets me confused sometimes. Sure, you know that how crazy it is, but. That's kind of the reason why I would move on from him, but I get why Cleveland doesn't want to move on from him because you got those two years where you have him so cheap, it's like, why not just run it as much as I can? It makes sense, you know, make it go as long as you can. Just It's like a Honda. You make that thing go like 300,000 miles because it's just so affordable and it's worth it. And honestly, but, like real quick for when it comes to Cleveland bars, we, I, I've kind of thought of them for the last two years of this team. Like, we've seen the deconstructing of that team that made the World Series, funny enough, against the, the two teams from the 2016 World Series, how far the both of them have fallen, man. So it, it, it's just crazy to me. Like, don't you think that they should pull the trigger with him? Like, I know you talked about his contract, per se, but that's a very, very affordable contract. And I think if you're Cleveland, you got to capitalize on this guy for when you have him. I know there's cl- these are club options, but... This like if you're rebuilding, if you're tearing everything down, this is one of the guys that has to go because you're not going to be a contender again before he his prime is done. I 100 percent agree with you. But as we know, in all sports and just the world alone, money make the world go round. So you're right. you got to sell right. some tickets and jerseys somehow. And Jose Ramirez is the way you're going to sell them. But the last trade that I think is absolutely not going to happen. I don't think this guy's going anywhere. But we did mention him in previous episodes. Sure. That just shows people listen to this show. Big heads. They're talking. But apparently, the craziest rumor I ever heard, I had to bring it up. I read right before the show that Max Scherzer is possibly on the move. And one of the teams talking to him, which I highly doubt it happens, but it is my very own New York Metropolitans. If it's not them, there was another team rumored. I believe it was the Los Angeles Dodgers and... Uh, and the Mariners were also the other team looking at him. There was one more team. Name escapes me, but it was it's Max Scherzer. How can you not? If I'm the New York Mets, and the main reason why he's looking to get traded or they're looking to trade him is because he's going to want big money soon, and they know they're a couple pieces away. Yes, you'll probably end up paying Max Scherzer, but they are a couple pieces away from returning to a World Series. But he's going to want an extension, and if I'm the Mets... Why do you not give him three years, a hundred million? It's Max Scherzer. You know, you're gonna tell me you don't think Max Scherzer is gonna give you three more good years. Yes, he's starting to be on his decline, but like walk in first ballot Hall of Famer. It's Mr. Blue and Brown Eye himself. It's Mad Max. You do it. Whether you're the Mets, the Padres, the Mariners, the Yankees, whoever you are, you trade that and you give them those three years. Only if you're a contending team, though. If you're not a contending team, don't look at it. But regardless, I don't expect him to move, but man, what a crazy move that would be, Jerk, if we actually end up seeing this happen. I well, don't funny expect enough. Him. Hold on, James. Funny enough, because I said, you know, weeks back again, check back on that. So we talked about teams that we should say, should they rebuild? Should they, you know, beef up for a playoff run? We mentioned the Nationals as one of the teams. And funny enough, like when we kind of mentioned them, we didn't, we didn't really entertain the idea, but we kind of said in passing, like, you know, what would you do with Max Scherzer if you're the Nationals and if you would actually decide to even consider in the team? Because we mentioned Patrick Corbin. Uh, we mentioned one of the hitters on that team. Like, maybe if they were going to rebuild Kyle Schwarber, who was, it was so good, like, the, the, it was max value. Like, this is the most you'll ever get from trading him. Like, guys like that we mentioned, we didn't even think they would even consider Max Scherzer. I, I know you said it's probably not going to happen, but let, let's just say hypothetically, James, the next week and a half or two before the trade deadline. Oh, I confirmed and the trade deadline is 
the end of this week, Friday. Okay, so so let's so let's say the Nationals lose out up until Friday, up until Friday, right? So they lose tonight, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday. I know it's only four more games, but like, is there something that could maybe make the management team think like, you know what, hit the hard reset? Like you said, this is a Hall of Famer, Mad Max. Like even in a quote unquote down year for him, he's still a pretty great pitcher. And like some of these other guys we've talked about, like you could get like with Merrifield, I think you could get if for Kansas City, like maybe uh, the 10th best prospect from another team back. I think the same thing with some of these guys. I think Story could get it back a good haul. Max Scherzer, just off the name value, is going to get you minimum one of the top eight prospects from another team back. And like one of their three best pitching prospects. Because of value, like this is a value game. Like you said, I know you mentioned contracts and like trying to bring in money. But because the Nationals have Juan Soto, because they have Trey Turner, because they have Steven Strasburg, would it not be feasible for them to trade Max Scherzer and kind of kick in some new life into that organization? Honestly, Jerk, you said if they lose out the rest of the week, I wouldn't even wait to lose out the rest of the week. I'm taking calls and I'm looking right now to trade Max Scherzer. I'm looking to trade Steven Strat, and you probably can't trade him because this guy's Mr. Frail himself, softer in toilet paper. He's on my fantasy team too, but whatever. We won't talk about him. He's seeing a next specialist today, by the way, guys. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed prayers up hopefully he heals up but ever since that world series he's kind of been nothing but if i'm the nationals i'm looking for trades i'm making calls i'm doing whatever i can because you're already seven and a half games back from first and your your team's getting hurt you're not honestly just the eye test it's not me being a met fan and rival it's just you're this isn't it this isn't the team you guys don't have it if everything you know god willing you might have a chance which is what happened in the world series so i understand that year they won the World Series, everything went right towards the end. So I understand if they really think, yeah, we got a shot to do it again. But you really don't. It's kind of just blind faith because you got the Braves in front of you who on paper, they're a better team. Yes, they have more injuries. And yes, they they just lost their superstar. But on paper, they're still a better team. You got the Phillies who they're looking on and up. They're really the only team. It's really looking like a two-team race in this NL East division. It's looking like the New York Mets and the Phillies, and I'm not trying to sound like a biased Mets fan, but it really seems like it's the Mets division to lose because the Phillies, you look at that pitching, it's super questionable. And you see the Mets, yes, they're 52-45, and but they're starting to get healthy, and they've been performing way above. If you watch it, I'm really not trying to sound like a Mets fan. I know I am, but I'm really trying not to. But if you watch them, you could tell there's something – not special, but you feel an energy going on in there where you could tell they're trying and they're playing every day. And that's kind of why, you know, I'm not trying to get on the Yankees, but it's kind of polar opposite what the Yankees are, which is what it's frustrating the fans, the Yankee fans. It's they, it seems like they're not trying. It seems like they don't give the effort or the energy or they're not fighting through all odds because they're hoping the analytic numbers crunch. So that's why I keep bagging on them because, you know, it's kind of funny to see the polar opposites, but, Back to this, I just, if I'm the Nationals, I'm selling because you're nowhere near getting first. You're not near the second wild card at all. Because the NL West, we were talking about it before the show, Jerk. They're going to lock up that second wild card. They're gonna, they might both lock wild up both cards wild possible. cards. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you're really, what are you playing for, you know? Yeah, no, it's a good point. I was just about to tell you, James, like, the only realistic chance the Nats have is if the Mets collapse and they go on such a monster run. Like you said, like, yeah, I know that I understand that they did it back when they won the world series, 
But that was also like they were 19 and 31 or whatever in the first 50 games. They had 112 more games. We're starting to get to the point where you you got to make the run now or it's never going to happen, it feels like. And the thing is, your only hope is the division because, like we said, the three best teams in the NL are all in the NL West this season. Yep. The, they're all in the NL West. So that means both wild card spots are automatically belonging to that division, whether the Giants remain or even if the Dodgers can leap them. The Giants are above 60 wins. The Dodgers are above 60 wins. The Padres are about to get to 60 wins. Like you said, if you're seven and a half games back from the Mets, and I'm not taking a shot at you guys here, but just saying, if you're seven and a half games back from a team that has 52 wins right now, I know there's an actual number to this, but that feels like you're 20 games back to a team that's at 60 wins. I know that's not the math, but it feels Mm -hmm. like such a large gap. And like you said, everything broke right that year. And you can't rely on that every single time because eventually all that magic, all that you know, a hype players finally playing good pitching gets back. It's gone like that. And I just don't think the Nets can rely on that. It seemed like they almost had that magic run or at least some sort of run where it seemed like they were going to be competitive and be closer, probably like second in the NL East division. But then that Kyle Schwarber injury happened. And then after that, it just started falling off the rails again because they couldn't find that offense went anemic. But like you said, Jerk, they got Juan Soto, you got Trey Turner, you got young pieces there. So Ideally, you're going to trade Max Scherzer, try, uh, or at least ideally, I would trade Max Scherzer, try and, I wouldn't say start a rebuild because you have pieces there. It's more of a retooling, and that's exactly what I would do, retool towards getting younger, because as we mentioned in previous episodes, the Nationals are one of the oldest teams in the league. So what you want to do is while you have some stars and core pieces, you want to add on to them more and just add more into that youth and start going full dive into that. Honestly, I would look into training Brad, uh, Brad hand too, while we're talking about the nationals because they signed them and he's playing better as of late. It's not his best year, but he's been getting hot again and a reliever like that getting hot. That's exactly what championship caliber teams are looking for towards the postseason. Yeah. And honestly, I think you kind of summarize it when it comes to Scherzer and the Nats in general, like, yeah, it's probably not going to happen, but should it? And I think it's funny enough. A lot of our guys talk NBA here at off the ball network, and it's all about, you know, what should happen. You know, we, we want to see what should happen. And what should happen is like, this is just my mindset. When it's time to hit the reset button, do you have the assets to do so? And I think the Nationals have the assets to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Just like how in the NBA, Portland has the assets to do it. The difference is this, the Nats got the championship. And I can understand why people are trying to hold on to that. But also, this is, this is the whole idea of the small market. Look at the Kansas City Royals when they won in 2015. Look at what's happened ever since. There are ebbs and flows to what your organization goes through. And yes, Nationals, you were a, a pretty successful team throughout the 2010s. You made the playoffs a bunch of times with Bryce Harper and Strasburg in them. And then you finally reached the precipice. You got the championship. That's nice. There's, only, there's a reason why only certain teams can stay at that level forever. And you're just not one of them. And look, it sucks. It really does. But you sometimes need to go through a little bit of a dip before you can rise back up and you can do this here with Matt with a Max Scherzer trade. You can breathe in new life to the pitching rotation and one or two new guys to the hitting core. How can you not go? If Zach Greinke got the Arizona Diamondbacks four prospects in a, the Houston Astros trade years back, what could Max Scherzer get you back? If you're the Nationals, like, come on now. So that's, that's my thing. Like we said, these are trades that we wish would happen. Obviously, Will they happen? It's a whole different story, but like whether it should or would, it can only come from the genius mind of one baseball man. And that is the baseball man that I know the baseball Don himself, James Barcia. James, thank you. Thank you for blessing us with your knowledge. Jared, you're going to kill me when you got to edit this later, but I got one last point to make, man. When you mentioned this, when you mentioned small markets and how 
if you have the pieces to hit the reset button or not. If you look at the great teams, I'm going to finally give you guys some credit because you're going to, you know, say I'm a hater, but I'm really not trying to hate. The, if you look at the Yankees, you look at the Rays, you look at the Red Sox, Dodgers, Astros, these are all high talented teams who all have won a World Series recently. But they saw after they won the World Series, they weren't afraid to sell some of their older pieces because they knew they had younger pieces they could continue to build on. So what they did was sold those older pieces and then got some younger pieces to bring in. Look at the Boston Red Sox. They traded Mookie Betts, who was arguably the best outfielder in the league that year. He won MVP the year they won World Series. I'm almost positive. They traded that man. They were bad for a year, yes. Two years later, they're looking great because they still have J.D. Martinez, Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts. They had pieces they knew they could continue once they retooled. Look at the Yankees when after they didn't win a World Series recently. Sorry, that really wasn't an attempted dig. But, you know, they were a great team. What, I think what you mean with the Yankees is that when their Jeter retired, we all thought there was going to be like a three, four-year rebuild with them. Yes, But it, it was accelerated because Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge just came out of nowhere. The baby bombers. Uh, yes, yeah, thank you, Jerk. I wasn't trying to be a jerk. Bombers. I swear, I wasn't. No, t- <laughs> timelines get messed up sometimes. But like, I, that That's the point of what you're trying to make here, James, is that like there's transitions here that teams need to go through. And like I think – with the nationals and i guess this last team you're going to mention here thank you for the editing that i'll have to do is the fact that you don't get to stay there forever for a reason but if you can hit the transition phase you should do it because we've seen it the red Sox let go some players they're fine the astros they just like oh george springer like they're the astros are slowly starting to lose like a few players here and there from their championship seasons but they're still one of the best teams in the division so it's like you have to sacrifice a little sometimes for the long term exactly jerk but like you said for the long, uh, good things don't always last, and the smart ones know when they got to sell it off and then bring it back. Unfortunately, we got to sell it off this week, but we're coming back next Monday, 8 p.m. live. You guys know where to follow us. Bunts and Bruises Podcast on Twitter. Bunts and Bruises on YouTube. Follow us Spotify, Apple. Please follow us Apple. Listen, subscribe, like, review, five stars. For those of you who have done it, thank you so much. You have no idea how much we appreciate it. We're going to start doing giveaways for everyone who does reviews. So start leaving reviews. You might win some swag. We'll review the swag once we make it. It's a business plan. Don't worry, guys. Regardless, speaking of business plans, one more time, mybookie.com, 50% up off to $1,000 deposit, uh, promo code off the ball. Once again, promo code off the ball. Guys, thank you for joining us once again. We'll see you next week. Peace.